Welcome to the Dream Plan Start Grow Show, where the goal is to provide you tips and tools to create and execute your business plan for success. Welcome back to the Dream Plan Start Grow Show. My name is Allison Turner. I started these interviews because I really love entrepreneurship and I love hearing other stories of how people got started in their business. And I truly believe we can learn from one another. So whether you are new to business or you're thinking about starting a business, or even if you're a seasoned business owner, check out all of my interviews at, on my YouTube channel at Dream Plan Start Grow or on my podcast at Dream Plan Start Grow. Today I'm honored to have with me Troy Rand. He's the owner of South Florida Fitness. He's an ultra athlete, which really means, for those of you who don't know, he puts himself through hell to achieve long distances. So it's one of those crazy people, in my, in my opinion. But uh, he's completed one Ironman and, I don't know, one or two half Ironman. Ironman, I guess that's a plural. Um, <laughs> he has a PhD in exercise science with an emphasis in biomechanics. And Troy's true love is sharing his passion for health and fitness and to help make a difference in the lives of people he gets to work with. So welcome, Troy. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I know some of your stories. So Troy and I are in Toastmasters together, and he's the pre current president of, my, of the club I'm in in Boynton Beach, Florida. So I know some of your story kind of through your speeches and whatnot, but what really prompted you to get into, I guess, the exercise world in the first place and then ultimately start a business? I mean, I mean, I know it's an interesting story. Yeah, I first got into exercise. Well, I was always an active child playing different <laughs> sports, skateboarding, different things like that. But I didn't really get into exercise until I was about 19 or 20 years old. And then I really started deciding to lift weights and run and build up my endurance. And I was really poor at the time. So I wanted to hire a personal trainer because I would read the magazines and one month they would say one thing, the next month they would say something completely different. And I'm like, it's the same magazine. You're contradicting yourself. I don't know what to believe. And I couldn't afford a personal trainer because I was poor, like I said. And I saw this ad for the community college that said, become a personal trainer. And I'm living in California at the time. And back then community colleges were like $11 a credit hour. And I was, wow. I decided I can afford to do this. I can go become a personal trainer since I can't afford one. That's how I got into like the educational side of health and fitness into exploring, you know, learning about it more. So I went to school and discovered biomechanics and exercise science in general. And at first I was blown away. I was like, this is actually science. Like it's not just, oh, counting reps and telling people what to do, but there's actually a science to this. And so that was how I got into exercise science in the first place. And then it was actually quite a while before I ended up pursuing that because I didn't go back to college till I was 30 years old. So it took me a while to fully pursue it, but that was my first exposure to fitness and exercise science in general. Okay. So when you got the personal trainer certification, did you just use it for yourself? Is that what you, the main thing, or did you start training other clients at that point? Yeah. So when I first went to school, when I was 20, I ended up, I had my internship set up and everything for the summer as a one year long program. The last semester I moved three times during the semester and couldn't keep up with the schooling. So I actually dropped out of that program and then just 
went on with life for the next 10 years before I went back to school. Okay. And then when I went back to school, I originally was thinking I was going to go for business or something. And I took a human biology class just as a general, you know, credit class. And right then and there, I knew I was going to go on for biomechanics. But I think that's interesting because, I mean, I've always had an interest in athletics. I grew up playing tennis right. and I taught tennis for about 14 years. And then I had a personal trainer in my 30s because I started seeing, you know, like women see changes in their body and whatnot. So I started seeing some of that in my early 30s. And I was like, what is this going on? And so I hired a personal trainer. I didn't know the first thing about, you know, and I have just happened to hire like a really good one that was into this, what you're talking about, like the science and the biomechanics and the, and the rest period time. And the, I mean, he had this whole science behind it, which fascinated yeah. me because I would watch other trainers in the same gym. And I see one of these people still today and I'm like, yeah, I don't think there's any science behind what he's doing. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. it's half the time he's on, you know, he's looking at his phone, you know, like between, he's like, he just points at the machine and sets the weight. And then he's looking at his phone while the client's doing the work versus my trainer was like looking at the mechanics and like making sure all the movement was right and slowing down and like the reps and all, all the different things. And so that got me interested in that side of things as well. And I actually did go right. back and get my, at the time, uh, my personal trainer certification through the NSCA. And then I was teaching tennis still. And then I got my strength and conditioning certification as well okay. through the NSCA. And I've never kept them up because I never continued to do the CEUs to keep them up. Um, I'm in the phase of knocking out all my CEUs for my strength and conditioning right now. Yeah. Because uh, I have the end of the year as recertification. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So I just never did it. I, I contemplated switching from tennis because I was teaching tennis over to that field, you know, of being a personal trainer. And I yeah. interviewed a couple of places and realized very quickly that the money between tennis and I was in a private country club in tennis and personal training was vastly different. <laughs> so yeah. uh, and I, t I did personal train a couple of times in my country club because I had talked to them and I said, you know, I have tennis clients that might want to personal train with me. And so right. I did do that a couple of times. Um, but it's, you know, started having conflicts with the tennis, which was obviously my my main thing that I needed to focus on. And uh, the other clubs, when I would go outside of the country club scene, you know, wanted to pay me, I was like, uh, no. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> so, so, but for yeah. me, it was good just because I love to learn and I like to learn kind of the science behind things. And, um, so for me, it wasn't wasted money or wasted time because I got my own right. personal gratification out of it, <laughs> even though I never yeah. used it to earn money per se. But what prompted you then you said 10 years later, you went back to school. So obviously something in your life prompted you to all of a sudden kind of rekindle that fire of going back to school and learning more. Yeah, it was a factory job. Uh, I worked in a factory for four years. After two years of that, I realized that I didn't want to be in a factory the rest of my life. And I was seeing the way the job worked was you would come in and they would, they called it qualifying you at your job, meaning you knew what you were doing. <laughs> Once you were qualified at your job, which took me about two weeks, you made full pay. So I come in and two weeks later, I'm making as much money as this 
65 year old guy who's been working here since he was 20. And I knew that I did not want to be there when I was in my 60s and have some new kid come in making as much as me in a couple of weeks. And it's just really, you know, besides the fact I'm in a factory and it was also like a hog processing plant. So it wasn't the nicest of factories. Yeah. I just knew I had to get out of there. And so, like I said, when I first went back to school, I was thinking business or something because I didn't really have a clear direction. I just knew I needed to get an education and that was what I wanted to do. I've always loved learning. You know, like you said, with the personal training thing, if nothing else, you learn from it. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And that's that's how I am in life in general is I love to learn. So I could be a full time college student the rest of my life and I'll be perfectly happy. <laughs> Unfortunately, that student loan bill would just keep uh, going yeah. up higher and higher. <laughs> yeah, you and me both because I'm like, I could just go back and get my PhD. But then I'm like, what would I do? I mean, I know you have your PhD, but I mean, like, I'm like, what would I do with my PhD yeah. if I like got it? You know, I mean, and I, yeah. I mean, even if I got it in business or history or whatever, but um, yeah. So, so you went back to school and then you continued obviously from the time you entered all the way through the PhD, correct? Yeah, I went back, I was 30 when I went back to college and I went 11 years straight through. Mm-hmm. I did my undergrad, my PhD, my master's and my PhD all in one shot. I took one semester off and that was when I switched from the community college over to the university. It was also the semester I got married. So I was <laughs> going from the community college, I got married, went on my honeymoon and then started back to the university. But besides that, I went every summer for summer school, never took a break except for that one semester. Wow. That's a lot of school all at once. I mean, although you did have a break between, I guess, high school and and then, but. Yeah, I had a long break. And that's what a lot of people take that break after their bachelor's degree before they go back to grad school. And because I didn't go back till I was 30, I had my life experience. I didn't need to go out and learn about the world and stuff. I had all that taken care of. So I. I knew I just needed to go straight through. Right, right. Yeah, because if you don't, you may not go back, go back again. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I completely understand. I mean, it's interesting what you said about, you know, you were in the factory for four years and that you knew you had to get out of the factory, that you didn't want to be doing that, you know, in this in your 60s. And I kind of got that when I was teaching tennis and I liked what I did and I enjoyed what I did. But ultimately, I would always get bored in jobs because I was like, okay, you know, like it's the same thing, different day type of thing, you know? Right. Um, and yeah. I always had, when I was tennis and tennis was the longest stint of any job besides this company, you know, that I've had, it was, I always had to teach it and be an administrator of it. So I, my last job, which was at a country club here in South Florida, I was like the junior director plus teach it had my own privates and groups and, and classes and things like that. And in Chicago, before I moved down here, same concept, I was the adult director. And then I also uh, taught the sports. So but I always had to have kind of that yeah. combination because one gave me one thing and then one gave me something else. And it always gave me a different, you know, a little bit more of a challenge versus just right. teaching or just administrating or, you know, things like that. And I think that's one of the things I credit with, you know, going out into the entrepreneur world, and I never saw myself doing that at all. I mean, I started this company with a business partner, and I don't know that I would have started this type of company at the time had I not had that business partner who had owned a business before. So she was vital in, you know, making this happen, but I think that 
fact that I would get bored in jobs, and I don't know, you know, people that are earlier than our generation came out and came out of college or whatever and like worked the same job for 30 or 40 years. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, how do they do that? You know, like, did they settle or is it just a thing to do because you were supporting your family and you had to have the steady job? And I mean, obviously they got a better retirement package and pension and all that than most companies provide now. So yeah. there was some benefit to it from that standpoint, but it's interesting that, you know, the mindset of an entrepreneur, entrepreneur to me is much different because you always are looking for something new and different and, and each day is different even when you're running your own company, even though you have similar yeah. aspects because you're still doing your same service per se, but you're also running the company, looking for the next goal, looking for maybe the next service you're yeah. going to provide or product you're going to create, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right with the, you know, the generation before us, it was easier in the sense that, you know, the man could go work one job, support the wife and kids, right. and you could have the good retirement. And so I think people, maybe they I'm sure they felt the same way. They probably got bored, but they probably maintained that because of the alternative, you know, where I think now it maybe is a blessing that we don't have that stability in the workforce because it maybe makes it a little easier to shy away from that and to go out on our own and do things that hopefully in the long run will be better. Right. And I think ultimately the world will get a bigger impact out of the small businesses I'm not saying yes, that very much so. nothing negative against the big businesses, because obviously they help as well, but there's more small businesses in the world than there are these large corporations. And I think those are the ones that can really touch people more so, more personally, I guess, than some of these yeah. large, large corporations, you know, like Coca-Cola, which is certainly great at putting all their different products out, but it's not like a personal touch per se. Right. So what were some of your challenges, I guess? So actually, let me go back. So you finished the PhD. Like, what was your ultimate goal of getting that degree? Because you were like me, that you love to learn. I mean, I went back in my 30s and got my master's in business right. while I was still teaching tennis. And then I flipped over to, I had a couple of things happen in my life. And I actually started right after the MBA. I started at MSW, literally like the next semester. And then I w got to the end of that. I was at the second, well, I was finishing the second to the last semester and I decided to drop out and that's when this company was started. So I literally dropped out like one semester shy of getting my master's yeah. in social work. <laughs> and because I just got to the point of like, I don't know if I can actually get, cause you have to get licensed obviously in that field right. or that's the only way you can really do one-on-one -on -one therapy. I mean, that was kind of my ultimate goal, but and I just didn't see myself working in like a, I don't know, like a, a nonprofit or social service mode, you know, at, the, at that moment. So I chose a different path completely. But what was your kind of guide to get to that PhD? And what was your ultimate, like, what are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah, so I have, it's kind of an interesting story. As I mentioned, I love learning. I love college. I found myself walking across campus during my undergrad going, I don't ever want to leave here. I just want to be a student forever. <laughs> of course, I had that thought, you know, I can't be a student forever because I'll run out of money. I'll, you know, 
And I was like, hey, I could be a professor and then I would never have to leave the college campus. And that was my initial thought of going to graduate school was to become a professor and then I could just spend my life on the college campus being a professor, which I still think would be a great thing. But then what happened with me, I was in my final year of my PhD and this is kind of a long story, but I'm going to keep it succinct. <laughs> I had a three-year-old boy at the time who was diagnosed with a very rare bone disease. And I found a clinic in West Palm Beach that specialized in his disease. And they were the world's leading expert in his disease. And I was looking for jobs at a university all over the country. So me and my wife decided, hey, why don't we just go to West Palm Beach? That way we have the best care for him. So as I'm looking at universities down here, I would also pop on the website of this clinic and just kind of browse around because I was thinking maybe I could collaborate with them and do research with them. Well, I ended up finding a job with them doing clinical research, studying the medication that was being developed for my child's disease. Wow. Which was one of those things like <laughs> synchronicity of the universe, yeah. right? Like you couldn't, that, you couldn't plan that. And so I moved to South Florida, which took me out of the you know, plan to go into academia and be a professor and put me into a orthopedic surgery clinic studying this disease and some other orthopedic diseases, which was really rewarding and really great. To wrap up the story with my son's disease, it actually turns out that his disease, he was misdiagnosed even for a couple of years with this world's leading clinic. And we did some genetic testing and found out that it's a different disease and I actually gave it to him. So I also have it. Oh, wow. And the good news is the disease that he actually has is very, a lot less severe. I've lived with it my whole life. I have a couple of family members that also have it. We didn't know it until we did all this genetic testing, but it's something where the, he grows benign tumors off the bones. Hmm but they recede where in the original disease, they don't and kids go through surgery. I mean, I saw two, three year olds going in for massive surgeries Oof. for this disease oh, wow. with my kid's disease. He's nine now. He hasn't had to have anything. As I said, I've had it my whole life. Didn't even know <laughs> now that I know it explains a few things, right. <laughs> uh, but I, I lived with it. My family's lived with it. So it's, it's a much better prognosis in the end. Right. So I worked there for a couple of years. And then what happened is when COVID happened, it basically killed the research project. We had just had to put our, our patients on hold on the medication because of an FDA hold, because they were looking at some adverse effects. Right after we put them on hold, COVID happened, and they basically said, there's no way we're gonna be able to get these kids back on medication right. anytime soon, so we're gonna pull the plug on the whole study. So unfortunately, that study tanked, and that right. was what was paying me. Yeah. <laughs> Although the clinic did keep me on for a little while as a scientific researcher, but I just wasn't happy in that role. And it's kind of weird because at first, when I was doing the research study, it was kind of below my pay grade. Not that I really believe in you know things being below my pay grade, but you didn't need a PhD to do clinical research. You can do that with a bachelor's degree. They prefer a master's, but you don't need a PhD. Then when I was being a research scientist, it was more of writing the publications and doing what a PhD should do. But I just wasn't happy in the situation and in the work environment. And that's when I decided to step out and start South Florida Fitness and go into the training aspect and work for myself. Okay. 
No, that's, that's great. And I think you can still go back and teach part-time if you wanted to. I mean, yes. I've been looking at that yeah. myself of applying to like Palm Beach State more and the, the lines of, you know, entrepreneurial studies or something because with the master's, I can do it. I don't even need the PhD to, to do that. Yep. Um, obviously, they still- Yeah, and that's something I'm definitely, I always keep my options open, yeah. keep my ears and eyes open for situations like that because I do love teaching. I love- working with students. And so that's something that I, I will be doing you know, throughout point. my life, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's good because then you can impact from the learning side plus the direct, you know, impact side where they're learning too, right. but they're also getting the benefits of what you're teaching them as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's one of the things about teaching is I feel like you're influencing, you're having impact on all these people that then go out and have an impact on their people. And so it's almost like this, you know, this exponential effect that you can have. And mm -hmm. it's one of the things that draws me to it. Yeah. And I think, but having the side where you are actually out in the field can even make a bigger impact because I, that's one of the things yeah. when I went to the MBA and I didn't really think of it at the time, but now that I own a business, I think of it. Cause I'm like, I wonder how many of those professors actually have ever done anything in the business world yet. They're teaching, right. you know, a course on finance or marketing or whatever. And, um, you know, but their PhDs and a lot of them have been teaching for years and years and years at university levels. So I was kind of, I've always thought that kind of after the fact, now I think maybe I wasn't in entrepreneurial studies. I was in, um, MBA with a focus on sports management. So I was right. in that program. So they did bring in people actually in the field for the sports management specific classes. So they did bring okay. people in from like, there was someone that taught a class from, was it Lynn university? Um, and I had to intern the entire time in different oh, nice. sports situations. So that was great from that side, but I'm always thinking about the, those core classes of MBA of whether they actually any of them have actually owned a business, you know? So. Right. Yeah. And that's, there's, there's a, sometimes a gap between what professors are teaching and them having the practical knowledge versus did they just, are they regurgitating what they learned when they were a student? Right. Or what the or textbook is saying because you're like running out of a marketing textbook and the marketing textbook is two or three years behind and right you know, from when it was actually published. And, you know, so, yeah, and you know, with sports and stuff, we really see it a lot where coaches are typically ahead of the research. Yeah. Because what happens is research takes several years to catch up and to prove things because you have to try it, you have to you have to do studies multiple times right. to really say that this happens. Well, coaches try it, they see that it works and they keep doing it. <laughs> And then eventually the science catches up and says, oh, you're right. It does it. Not that every coach is right with everything no. they do, but it, but in general, the practical side of things has their finger on the pulse. Right. You know, research always lags behind, you know, five years or so, and sometimes even longer, depending on the complexity. Sometimes it's hard to study certain things, but coaches just know. Yeah. And same thing with, you know, in business, there's the people that are running businesses that are out there marketing their own businesses know more about marketing than the people that are studying it from a textbook. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you started South Florida Fitness, what was the idea behind it? What was your target market? How are you planning to help people? Yeah, when I first started, I was 
still at the hospital and I thought that I would just do it kind of as a side thing because I really liked working with people. It's actually kind of funny. In my undergrad, I did personal training, CrossFit coaching. I put on uh, 5K, 10K races, and that was my main source of income. And now I have a PhD and I'm personal training, (laughs) putting on triathlons, and I'm doing a lot of the same things that I did. But I enjoyed that when I was in my undergrad. And so I started it as, you know, I'm going to do this just part time. And so I want to kind of a side thing just to do something that I enjoy. Right. And I like to help people, you know, find their passion for health and fitness. And so that's why when I started it and then when I was unhappy with my work environment in the hospital was when I just kind of said, well, maybe I should just make the leap and go full time into the business side of things. And so then I made that leap and just started doing it full time. Okay, that's awesome. And what have been some of your greatest challenges once you started the business and you jumped in (laughs) full time? there's a lot of challenges as anyone who's run a business knows probably the the biggest challenge was not knowing what to expect and not knowing really anything I'm, i'd never run a business before my only business knowledge was from things i'd read studied i took a couple business classes but i had never actually run a business before And so my biggest challenge was that people weren't knocking down my door to come train with me. (laughs) And that- (laughs) They didn't just magically know you were there. (laughs) Right, you know, it was like, yeah, you incorporate a company and make a website and they should just be at your doorstep, right? So that was probably my biggest challenge was learning how to market myself and learning how to get back up and keep trying things. You know, I had several different avenues that I've attempted and I'm still doing this. I mean, I still launch things and they don't go anywhere and I just redo it and come up with the next idea. You know, you got to know when to stop beating a dead horse and (laughs) go get a new one. Uh, So that was probably one of my bigger challenges was not knowing what to expect and then not not having that expectation of things working out like you'd planned. And then the one other thing that I would say has been really challenging and it's still challenging is when you put a lot of time into something, it's hard to let it go. But there's that whole sunken cost fallacy and that's all it is, is I've invested all this time. If I keep investing time, I'm just losing more time if it's not going anywhere. That time's not coming back that I already invested. So it's not like I'm gonna make that up. But it's, it's just it's hard to put time into something and then just let it go and be like, well, that was, you know, hundreds of hours. <laughs> you feel like it was completely wasted. Although I've learned as long as you learn from those right. situations, then it's not wasted. It just didn't maybe pan out financially the way you were hoping. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a lot of what entrepreneurship is. It's the you know ups and downs of some things stick and obviously the more you're in business the longer you're in business the i shouldn't say the easier that's probably not the right terminology but you know you know kind of the direction you need to go that doesn't mean you're still not going to hit roadblocks yeah. or something you know the economy changes uh this pandemic hits <laughs> which we couldn't have predicted yeah you know, and all those types of things come up but it's 
you know, as an entrepreneur, it's much easier for us to shift a direction versus, yeah. you know, a major company shifting a direction yeah. quickly. And I think once you understand that and you've been through it, what happens is you learn to expect the unexpected. Right. So it becomes like, okay, I, I do need to cut my losses and turn up. Oh, that didn't work out. This situation happened. Let's try this. And that becomes more of the norm than something that you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? Cause this didn't work out. Right. Right. And I think the key thing you said was the learning piece of always being open to learning from things that don't work out because yeah. that's the gift behind the, the failure, I guess, for lack of a better word is yeah. you can still take something away from it. Maybe you learned how to do something that will help with the next thing that you launch or, you know, whatever it is, you can still take yeah. different things away from that. Or maybe it just wasn't the right time and you could bring it back out again in two years right. or something like that. And it is the right time because sometimes it's a timing yeah. piece too. It's not always, hey, this isn't going to work. Maybe it's just the timing of when you launched it isn't going to work. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, yeah. And I mean, we're scared of failure. We None of us want to fail, but we can learn from it and we learn so much. And if we can just avoid the catastrophic failures and just make sure and keep getting back up and learning from our failures. And I always, I like the analogy of learning to walk. I had a professor in grad school that he would say, we're all the Michael Jordans of walking. <laughs> and what he meant is that we can walk phenomenally well. I mean, right. the way we go up and down curbs and stairs and we navigate crowds and we can essentially trip and recover we are phenomenal walkers, but none of us started out that way. And we all had to learn to walk. And if you look at kids that are about like a year old, 18 months old, learning to walk, they fall down roughly one time for every 140 steps. Huh. And I still have not met anyone <laughs> that is in a wheelchair because they decided to not walk. <laughs> the people only ride in wheelchairs because they have to, right. not because they gave up and they said, oh, walking's not for me. I failed. I guess I'm not going to meant to be a walker. You know, as kids, obviously, we don't understand failure. We just we, we know we need to get moving and we keep walking. But it's the same thing with us as as we try, you know, different marketing strategies, launching new products, services, whatever. If we come into roadblocks and we have a failure, we have to figure that out. Just like the kid walking, you know, they maybe had a realization one time that, oh, when I'm looking around while I walk, I seem to fall more. But if I look in front of me, I don't fall as much. Mm -hmm. Let me try looking in front of me. And now they don't fall as much. We can do the same thing as, you know, I tried this and it didn't seem to work. But hey, you know, when I do this, I seem to get a good response. And so then yeah. your next marketing campaign, you add more of that. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's that A-B testing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> And I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, we become more resilient as we go because, you know, so what you were talking about with the kids, I mean, kids are resilient and ultimately yep. they're not going to be stopped because they have the, they don't have the tainted view of life that we maybe have yep. from, you know, however you grew up or, you know, different things that have happened throughout your life until you got to this point, which all impacts your current stage of life. So it all impacts whether you, yeah. you know, relationships, your business, all those two different pieces, unless you've worked on yourself and continue to work on yourself to improve those things. And I think kids, yeah. 
the younger they are don't have that. So when they're learning to walk, when they're really young, they're just like, well, you know, I fell. Okay. Like, you know, I mean, obviously there's probably not even a thought process yeah. to it. They're just like, let me get back up and yeah. <laughs> go again. And, you know, they plop back down again and they go again and until they're finally mastering it versus us who sometimes overthink it as entrepreneurs versus, yeah. Hey, you know what? Let me just get back up and move to the next the next thing. And I think as long as yeah. there's a strategy behind that, because what you don't want to do as an entrepreneur, and I see this sometimes with clients of mine is there's the next shiny thing. And, you know, they only give this piece a little bit of time to, to work. And then they're like, Oh, well that didn't work. You know, it's only been a month and no one signed up or yeah. you know, whatever it is. And let me go to the next shiny thing. And that sometimes is a mistake, a different direction. So just like you said, you have to, like what is you know no one to hold them no one to fold them kind of thing and yeah and give yeah it's true give it ample and, time and not be you know, see the next shiny thing of, and you know i think that's probably one of the hardest things in entrepreneurship is doing that of giving it enough time but not like you said too much where you're like okay now it's is it a point of no return type of thing yeah there's definitely you have to find that line in between because you don't want to continue doing something too long that doesn't work, but you also don't want to give up on something too soon because you're thinking it doesn't work, but maybe you just haven't quite hit that breakthrough yet. Right. So there's definitely a balancing act there of figuring out what, you know, like you said, when to hold them and when to fold them. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. And I think the more you're in entrepreneurship, the more you can get a feel for that and know what's working and what's not for your particular industry and yeah. make those tweaks. Cause sometimes it's just making a little tweak as well, as opposed to shutting it down all the way. Yeah. So what have been some of your greatest successes in your business to date? Be I think because I have a service business, I see my greatest successes as being my clients reaching their goals and improving. I really, I've shifted a little bit. When I first started, I was all about helping the people like find the joy in fitness or helping <laughs> those people who had maybe gotten out of it, get back into it. And I've shifted a little bit more towards helping people who are already into the fitness and helping them improve more. Okay. And that's actually been very rewarding in the sense that I, I've started working with more people who are already motivated, already kind of, they don't need the encouragement to do it. Right. They need the know-how and the direction and just those extra pushes. And that's been really rewarding is to be able to give people that. And, you know, for me, like I do a lot of nutrition coaching as a part of my thing, and I'm starting to work with more of the actual endurance athletes as opposed to just like, the general public. And for me, you know, running, I started running marathons and I had no idea about nutrition. Right. And I hit the wall at mile 20 because, you know, maybe I'd eaten a gel or two, but I didn't really have a plan. Right. And I get calf cramps because I wouldn't drink. Right. And so to work with people and to help them, you know, on their first marathon to have a plan and to go in with, you know, something that's going to help them not go through the pitfalls that I went through when I was training. That's been really rewarding. 
And then also like, I think just the personal growth that I've experienced through my business has been mm -hmm. so rewarding. It's, you know, I've learned so much in the past couple of years and, you know, we learn so much from doing the hard things and being <laughs> in business is pretty much all hard things. <laughs> not too much that's easy. So yeah, and I think you get the opportunity to learn a lot. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I think when you get the stronger foundation, so you talked about how you came in, you'd never done anything in business. You didn't know how to run a business. You didn't, you know, and I think that's a lot of what I see in clients that when they first start, they're doing everything. You know, you, you're the website designer, you're the salesperson, you're the marketer, you're the, the service provider, you're the accountant, you know, you're doing kind of everything versus when you work for someone, you know, if you worked for a gym today, yep. not that they would hand you clients because usually they don't, but, 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 you know, they would still give you the But they equipment. would accept the payments. They would pay yeah, me out. They exactly. Would, they would... So they would do pieces of yeah. it. You may still have to market yourself and get the clients. Yeah. They might give you some of them, depending on the gym. But they would provide the equipment, all that type of thing, versus you know, if you're going to set up your own personal fitness business, and you got to be like, OK, do I need equipment? Yeah. Do I need, you know, what am I doing to market it? What are my programs? So, I mean, all those pieces that aren't just readily there. And I, that's yeah. one of the biggest challenges. I mean, that's why I'm so passionate working with people that want to start a business or that are newer in business because yeah. really trying to create that foundation so you can basically implement your personal and, and business goals together. Cause that's probably one of the largest pitfalls is people go all in on the business and then, you know, they don't see their family or friends for, you know, for days on end. Cause they're like, Oh, I got to work longer hours and I got to figure out how to do this. And, you know, you're doing all these things that maybe you've never done before and yeah. until you get the income to hire certain things out that maybe you're not the best served person to do. And that can take some time, especially when you're starting a business, unless you have a lot of capital to start it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was one of the, the big challenges and it's, it still is, is that I'm, I'm still doing everything in my business. Okay. So I don't, haven't hired anyone out yet. And I'm hoping that it won't be too long before I can start doing that. Mm -hmm. But that has definitely been like, okay, now I'm the accountant and I'm the, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm the, the inventory purchaser, you know, I mean, I have to do all the equipment. I'm, you know, I still currently do the lawn service because I have a backyard gym, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> the lawn service huh? to the gym. But the, that's actually my first, I'm getting ready to start bringing someone in to, keep the lawn looking good because I spend more time than I should making sure the lawn looks good enough. Cause I have clients in my backyard. Right. And that's one of those that I, I look at what it would cost me to have someone do it versus the hours I do it. And yeah. I know that's a no brainer. I got to do that. Well, yeah. And what you could be paid from do from actually working with another client instead of right. spending that exactly. time cutting the lawn and making sure there's no weeds or whatever you know, <laughs> else that you need to do. Absolutely. And I think that's what, yeah. And you gotta look, you gotta look at your time. Like, yeah, what is my time worth? Exactly. And I shouldn't be doing jobs that are below my pay grade in that sense. Yeah. At first you do have to, and until you get to a certain point, you do have to take on that stuff. But you know, at some point I'm not going to be doing the finances either. I'm going to be handing those over. And I mean, right. but it, but it's good to know that stuff in the sense that I can always keep an eye on them. So yeah. you hear those stories about people oh. who, 
especially when you have people who come into money really quick and they hire their brother's friend to do their books and he embezzles from them. Yep. You know, and because I've started from the ground up, I'm going to know all pieces of my business. I'm going to be able yeah. to talk to my marketing person when I have one and give them feedback and understand what they're going through and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, no, and I think that is critical because you want to know and make sure you understand. I mean, I don't fully understand the tax return that gets filed for my company. I mean, I do hire, I've always hired that out because I'm, I'm a right. S corp and that's a whole different tax return versus an LLC yeah. that comes as a pass through to your personal. But uh, I have chosen not to ever touch that return, even though I've done my personal returns before. Right. I don't currently do them, but you know, I trust that my accountant knows what he's doing in the, the S Corp. I was glancing at it this morning because the extension is due tomorrow. So he had sent it to me, I think over the weekend or something, because he had filed an extension and so he sent it to me when I was out of town and I was looking, I was finally getting to look at it and I was like, yeah, I guess it looks right. And one number looked off and I went and looked at my books cause I still do my books. So I know what my numbers are, but I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> you know, so. And that's the type of thing, like, you know, enough that you, you're able to catch red flags and see things like that, but you don't have to micromanage it. Well, you can exactly. let your accountant take care of it. And yeah. 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 And you know, so I think that is it. You have to, as you grow the business, figure out what's the next thing I need to, that's not either I don't like to do or, and you said like prioritizing those, you know, it's below my pay grade type of thing, but also sometimes you're not the best person to do it from the standpoint right. that you don't enjoy doing it. It's a headache. It's, you know, so what's that next priority. Like I don't dislike doing my books. Now my problem is I wait until sometimes the end of the year or the beginning of yeah. the next year to like cram them all in at once. I'm doing better this year. Um, I'm halfway through my year, so I'm doing better this year. But at some point I will farm that out. That's probably the last piece of my control that I have from that standpoint. I mean, I do, right. we do manage all our own websites, but I have either myself can do it or someone else in my team can do it as well. But, um, you know, that's, the, the more the planning and like, what's that next piece? Is it the tax return? Is it the books? Is it the marketing? Is it, do I hire a salesperson? You know, all those different yeah, pieces. I, I think that's kind of, in my opinion, that that is my end goal is to be able to focus on what I'm passionate about. So there's certain things that I'm not going to be as good at, but then there's also things I just don't like. I may be good at them, but I just don't enjoy doing yeah. them. And so if I'm doing them, I'm not going to be bringing that passion to my business. And that's going to, in the long run, hurt my business. So my end goal is to be able to spend my whole day doing things that bring me joy, I'm passionate about, that serve my business and everything else to be, have other people. And people have passions. There's people that have passions for the books. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I know because I'm weird. I, I like a lot of weird things. Like there are certain things on computers that I just love, you know? And so I actually really enjoy doing graphic design. You know, is it worth my time in the long run? Probably not, but it's, it's also something that I can sit with like Adobe Illustrator or PowerPoint and create graphics. And it, I'm satisfied with that. You know, it brings me joy to do that. It may not always be the best use of my time, you know, in the long run, but as long as I'm passionate and happy, then I think that's going to elevate the business. Right. Exactly. No, I, I agree. 
I think the more you can hand, that's why I never did the tax return for the S Corp. Because I was <laughs> right. like, you know, every time I have to do my own, which I don't, once I start doing it, I once I would start doing it, I would be fine. And I had done it for years and then handed it off one year yeah. to somebody and they screwed it up. I was like, okay, let me pull it back to me. So now yeah. I just hand them both off to my accountant and I'm like, here you go. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, everything's good. <laughs> so, right. But yeah, I, I agree with you that I, I never wanted to learn the S Corp tax return because, you know, the, the personal one was not that it was hard enough, but I mean, it was, you had to keep up on certain things. And I mean, my yeah. things aren't too tough, but you had to keep up on enough so you knew how to do it. And then I'd ask my, you know, an accountant a question about it and I might get the right answer. I might get the wrong, you know, not my current accountant, but a different one. And I was like, yeah. okay, let me just not, let me just hand it off to somebody I trust to do everything. Um, yeah, that's one of those things that you only do it once a year. So you have to relearn it every year when you're going back to it. Yeah, exactly. And if you're using like TurboTax, you're like, what's this question mean? <laughs> you know, yep. like, uh, yeah, no, that's not, not definitely not worth my time and my energy to, to do it. Um, never yeah. has been. I'm like that I'm willing to pay for. I'll figure out where the money's coming from and like how to pay it out. Uh, but so when you were growing up, did you ever see yourself as a business owner? I hadn't really thought about that, but no, I actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a garbage man and play in a band. Those were my two things. <laughs> and if we had to pick up garbage and have a concert on the same day, they were gonna have to find someone else for the concert because I was definitely riding on the back of the truck <laughs> and throwing garbage bags. That is too funny. You know, the, the funny thing is, I think my parents tell me some story that I, they were, I don't know, someone asked me one time what, and I don't even know how old I was. And they, I said, I wanted to, to do that, to be like, a, like do the trash truck thing. And I was like, right. really, how old was I? You know, when I said that, but, yeah, and for me, I, I know it was just seeing the guys riding yeah, on the that back. That was probably me looked, too. Like but... a blast, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, I had a lot of different things I wanted to do growing up. I've always been somewhat of an entertainer, I guess you could say. I've juggled. I've played mm -hmm. music. I used to love doing like the school concerts and stuff. I kind of saw myself maybe going that direction. And then when I was really young, I actually was really into numbers and accounting and like. I thought I was going to be an accountant and my mom started a business when I was like 11 hmm. from when I was like 11 to 13, she started a business, incorporated it, sold it. And so over a couple of year period, I saw her run a business and that was the first time I really thought about like, oh, hey, this is, is something I could do. Right. I mean, I was still pretty young then, but that kind of maybe put that in my head that that's always a possibility is to have your own business. So I'd say kind of through my teenage years, the thought was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything I was pursuing. Right. Right. And I think sometimes it just happens and I, you yeah, know, maybe we want something more out of life at the time. Like you said, you got tired or didn't have really any passion for the job you were doing. So either you need to get a different yep. job or you need to go out on your own and you were already doing some of it on the side. So just expand the yeah. expand the hours of what you're doing yeah. would work but i and i think that's the same with me i mean i got to the point where 
I was I went back to tennis after I got my MBA and I was um, I had done my MBA full-time so I was working part-time in tennis at the time just to cover some of the bills and whatnot because I had to intern and do all these things with the MBA but I did that and then I went back to tennis because that's when I went into the MSW and the MSW I was doing part-time so it was like a three or four year thing yeah so I was doing that part-time so I loved to still learn and did all that and then after that I decided at one point I was like okay I need to like figure out what it is I want to do and I think I'd gone to and I don't even remember how I got there I'd gone to like a women's networking event so I was still working in tennis at the time and I had gone to do this and I don't even know what prompted me to go do that to be honest I don't even remember what prompted me and there were a lot of women that were business owners and I don't even I don't know where they were in their business. I mean I know the people that ran the networking event I kind of know where they were in their business but a lot of the other ones yeah. I don't know exactly kind of where they were in the life cycle of their business but it prompted me I, that was the first time I'd been in like a, a group of women specifically that were business owners and that got me more thinking and it was all positive and you were anyone can do it and all all that type of mindset so that was my kind of my first foray into it yeah. and how I moved from there eventually to start this company with a business partner and, uh, and then it's been a journey for the last 10 years after that <laughs> so, um, yeah by the time I went back to college I was pretty sure I was gonna start a business and that's I was gonna go for business and then I had the whole become a professor so I can you know never leave college idea <laughs> And that's what prompted me into grad school. But my original plan was to start a business, but it was, I wasn't planning on anything like what I'm doing now. I was going to start just more of a, you know, like store or just kind of more brick and mortar or a mail order, you know, some type of just more like not a service business right. like I do now. Mm -hmm. So switching gears briefly, I know you and I met. Yep. And I mentioned it at the beginning of our interview and Toastmasters. And I know you and I yeah. came in about the same time in our group. I think it's been yep. close to two years now. Um, Just over two. Yeah. Yep. And you're currently president. I'm treasurer. And what prompted you to join Toastmasters? Because I think that's, for me, it's an important piece because I had wanted to speak more and improve that skill. I don't think I ever would have done a video podcast had I not started yeah. that because I was doing some audio stuff before, but I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going on video. I don't want to see myself on video. I don't want to be on video, <laughs> you know, none of that. And even though I have a video production studio in Delray, <laughs> you know, I was like, no, I yeah. don't need to be on video. <laughs> I can sell that service, but not be on it. And that's been critical for my personal growth and also business growth. So what prompted you to jump into Toastmasters. Yeah, I was coaching actually right next to where your studio is at. <laughs> I was coaching down at the soccer field there. And I was coaching this guy who was actually a sports psychologist and he travels around the country speaking to sports teams. <laughs> and this was the first time that I had met him. It was a group fitness class and it was the first time that I had met him. And we talked off and on throughout the hour class. And at one point, towards the end of the class, he said, can I tell you something? And I was like, sure, what? And he's like, you know, you're, you talk very negatively about yourself. Hmm. 
And I was kind of taken aback because I've always had a very healthy self-esteem, I guess you could say. I've never felt, I never, I guess I never realized that I talked negatively about myself. And it really made me think. And, you know, when he had mentioned that he went around and, you know, did these speeches to people, I remember specifically that I said to him, yeah, I always thought it would be cool to be a public speaker. And then I was like, yeah, but I don't really see myself as a public speaker. And I made that comment, but I also thought about our conversations throughout that hour long class. And I had made several comments to that effect because he kept asking me, what do you do? What's your, you know, what do you blah, 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 ask me all these questions. And I realized that a lot of my responses were talking negatively about myself, mm -hmm. even though I didn't feel like I felt that way. But I apparently did because I would say, I don't really see myself as a public speaker. And it was that comment specifically that made me say, I can be a public speaker if I want. There's no reason I can't be. And I just searched for Toastmasters because I'd heard of them before. I was like, I'm going to join a Toastmasters group and I'm just going to start talking. <laughs> and it's two years later and I haven't shut up. So <laughs> <laughs> it's worked out great for me. And, you know, I feel like I, I can do public speaking. It's no problem. And I taught, I spoke in front of classrooms all the time. I mean, my eight years of grad school, I was a teaching assistant and I taught classes as a professor on record for several years as a PhD student. So it wasn't like I couldn't talk to people in front of people, but I just didn't, I didn't envision myself as a public speaker right. where now, even though I don't have any like actual public speaking engagements I'm getting paid for, I still feel like I am a public speaker. Mm -hmm. I do. I well, I speak primarily at Toastmasters because that's my outlet that I've been using. But, you know, I have that ability to just talk and share my story. And I've learned so much from that. And it's been so rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's key because it also it gives you that outlet to talk as much as you want. I mean, especially yep. our group. It, I mean, I've heard some groups are a little bit more not competitive, but like competitive in getting the speaking slots. <laughs> Um, right. You know, as as far as speeches go, but ours doesn't seem to be that, especially if you're yeah. more thinking in advance of when you want to speak next and you schedule yourself out two or three weeks, which I see you do. And I think I do, too. So yep. um, that's usually not a problem in our group. And so it, I think it has given me that outlet, too, where I've learned to be more confident in doing it, which is also what helped me launch this in the video mode, because I was doing video in my studio initially versus this yeah. online, because um, I wanted control over everything. So I wanted to control over the sound and the lighting and the, you know, there was no Wi-Fi yeah. needed because <laughs> sometimes Wi-Fi yep. is an issue on this online thing. You know, there was none of that. So I wanted control and in person it's a whole different ballgame. I remember when my first interview was I had like a notebook in front of me of like questions because I was like oh what if I get stuck you know I had this like <laughs> notebook that I had put yeah. on my lap in front of me and I'd have like you know not a ton of questions maybe five or six so if I couldn't think of something to say because I didn't want to do it as here's your five questions and this is what I'm going to go over right you know there's always a place I start and there's a place I end but I wanted it to be a little more organic depending on the person coming through yeah and I found that maybe I looked at that sheet once or maybe twice during like yeah it was like a safety blanket that you had but then you found out you didn't need it yeah exactly <laughs> so I probably used it for the first maybe six or eight times I did the interviews in this office and yeah now I don't really use it at all. 
I mean, I don't have any questions lined up on the side or anything like that. And I've really only had maybe one or two people where I've had challenges, not challenges, but where I felt myself, and you wouldn't be able to tell it from the video itself, but more of that I right. could feel that, not that I wasn't prepared, but the person's answers were so good that they answered almost the next question I would have asked. You know, right, like, yeah. You know, type of thing. So, but otherwise, you know, go ahead. That's something I've seen with my speaking since joining Toastmasters also is when I first started, we were on Zoom only and I would have, you know, bullet points next to my computer when I was giving speeches. And then we went to hybrid and I started going in person all the time. And once we started in person, I never had notes with me at all. Wow. And so all my speeches were memorized, but then also a little bit more ad libbed yeah. because of that. And I, I've developed a confidence and comfortableness with speaking without being so prepared necessarily. Mm -hmm. I wanna have an idea of where I'm going. Uh, the one speech I had bullet points with was when I did my difficult audience speech and I was bombarded with difficulty because <laughs> I knew people were going to be interrupting me. And so I had bullet points that time. But outside of that, when I speak now, I just I speak. I mean, I know my topic. I know what I'm speaking about. Right. And I think it comes across better that way. And it feels better yeah. to be more natural like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So where do you see your next steps in the world of entrepreneurship right now? That's a good question. I really, I want to continue down the path of the nutrition coaching is where I'm trying to put a lot of my efforts right now, but I want to develop it to where I am able to bring other coaches in and I can take more of a hands-off role uh, from the coaching aspect i being in a service industry i've you know it's become very apparent that i get paid for my time yep. and therefore I, I have a ceiling yep i only have so much time i have two young kids i have you know stuff i'm doing so i have a ceiling of of that and so i need to expand by bringing other people in you know obviously the yard person's one of them but <laughs> beyond that like i need to have like coaches that can coach for me. And then I just have a small percentage for keeping the books and taking the payments and things like yeah. that. So I really want to expand in that area. And that's a really nice area because it's essentially online for the most part. I do have some in-person clients just because they live close, but I don't market just to my area. Mm -hmm. And I also, another piece of my business is I contract out race events. Hmm. So I work with someone it's I've actually worked kind of in their business, but it's it's a good chunk of my business and I help set up triathlon. Huh. So I we have like 12 to 14 events per year and it's it's primarily I, I work somewhat in town preparing for the events. And then on the weekend we drive down, we set everything up, we run the event and then we drive back. And so I have these you know 12 to 14 weekends a year that I do these events and I'm hoping to grow in that role a little bit more. Okay. So the person that I'm working with doing that is, is hoping to step back from their involvement in it and kind of let me take over some of that to where I'll be more like the race director of those events. And so I'm hoping to kind of 
expand in that area a little bit and then possibly mm-hmm. add on some of my own events outside of their business, but do some of my own stuff. Okay. Well, sounds like you so. have a plan. <laughs> yes. How to implement, uh, which is always, yeah, always exactly. uh, the fun of entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that being said, that could all completely go change. off course and change in the next six months. So. Yeah. When the next thing comes, I'm like, oh, I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a fast pass right over here. Um, and, and again, we've got to avoid the shiny object. Yeah, exactly. But... <laughs> yeah. So as we start to wind down, I ask the same question to all of my interviewees. If you were to give one tip to someone that wanted to start a business or that was newer in business that has helped you grow your business, and maybe you knew it going into business, maybe you didn't know it and you've learned it through your business, what would that one tip be? I think my best advice for anyone going into business would be to whatever that thing is that you really don't want to do and you're putting off, that's the thing that you need to work on now (laughs) because it's those things that are holding you back is by putting those things off and not doing them. And we all do it. We're all guilty of it because we like to do what we like to do and we don't like to do, but those are going to be your roadblocks. And so if you identify those and then tackle them, it's going to, you're going to just jump forward a lot faster. Yeah, and usually those are the more important things that we don't want to do or yep. do them eventually. But if we had done them earlier, then the impact would have been greater, like you said, than holding. Yeah. So it's prioritizing the important over maybe the urgent, because sometimes things come in and they look urgent, but they're not necessarily as important as these. <laughs> yeah. So great. Thank you very much, Troy. I appreciate you joining me today. Yep. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was, it was great talking. Yeah. And if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, learn more about your services, because I assume you work with people all over the country as opposed to just South Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I know I named my business South Florida Fitness, but I do work. I do a lot of work online, especially with the nutrition coaching. So I am available to work with people essentially anywhere. My website is SouthFloridaFitnessLLC.com. And then my email is Troy at South Florida Fitness LLC.com. Okay, great. Thank you very much again for joining me. And thank you everyone thank you. for coming to uh, listening to the Dream Plan Stark Rose show. Again, I love working with new business owners or someone that wants to start a business. So if you have any questions for me, please go to my website at theallisonturner.com. And I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Dream Plan Start Grow podcast with Allison Turner. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join our community by joining the Dream Plan Start Grow Facebook group. Or for more resources, go to my website, theallisonturner.com.